Good morning. Good to be with you today. I do always notice how when it's a bye week, second service is a little more full, and there's no judgment with that, so happy to be with you guys today. Let's pray, and then we'll jump back into John 15. God, we're thankful for the things we were able to sing today, knowing these are true, that you as our Father, you open your arms wide, and you call us to come to you that Jesus bled and died to purchase all these good things for us. So God, this morning we pray that you would protect us from distractions, from worries, from the things going on in our life, and you would cause the word to sink in and change us and lead us to worship your son. I pray this in his name. Amen. Well, if you haven't turned there already, turn your Bible to John 15, 12 to 25. We're back in John this week. In John's gospel, it does tell us a lot about Jesus. In fact, part of why we've been preaching through the book of John is to show you clearly this is who Jesus is. This is what he's like. Here are a few things we've seen so far in this book. That Jesus is the Word who is God and was with God. That Jesus is the Lamb of God. He takes away our sin. So Jesus is both Savior and Substitute. That Jesus is a teacher of truth to his disciples. Jesus is the mighty, miracle-working God. And Jesus is Lord and King who rules all things, including our lives. Well, if you've been in the church a while, no doubt you've heard a lot about Jesus as Savior and Lord and King and Teacher. And all of those are good things and essential things that we do need to hold up and talk about and think about. But there is one reality of who Jesus is that I don't think gets nearly the attention it deserves. There's a benefit to believing in the gospel and knowing Jesus that goes even deeper than forgiveness. And this wonderful biblical truth is that Jesus is our friend. Let me read verses 13 to 15 again. Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this, and that someone would lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Jesus wants you to think of your relationship with him not just in terms of servant and Lord or sinner and Savior, but he wants you to think in terms of friend to friend. And not like a Facebook friend that's merely an acquaintance, but Jesus invites us into a real, a personal, intimate, and lifelong friendship. In his book, Made for Friendship, Pastor Drew Hunter in Zionsville, he says this, that you, you were created for this. You were made for friendship with God. God does not just want us to know about him. He wants us to know him and to experience his friendship. Friendship is in the deepest heart of Christ, and it's at the very center of the gospel. And I think every one of us as a human being, we want to know, what does God really think about me? And I think in the back of many Christians' minds, we think Jesus might have forgiven us, but now he just kind of puts up with us. But here in John 15, Jesus goes out of his way to make it clear what he does think of us and how he does relate to us. 
And he says that we are his friends. If you've trusted in Jesus, that you are forgiven. This means even though we remain sinners our whole life, that Jesus' first thought of you, it's not as a sinner, but as a friend. Yes, we must be and we are forgiven through Jesus, but friendship, not forgiveness, is the goal of salvation. Forgiveness makes friendship possible. My hope today is to show you that one of the most essential things we know about Jesus is that he is our friend. You know, if you have a file in your mind of all the things you believe about Jesus or your theology of Jesus, one of the things that needs to be near the top of that is that Jesus relates to us this way. So the morning in this message, we'll consider what friendship with Jesus entails just from our passage. You could look at other things like union with Christ or that he's a sympathetic high priest, but we'll stick with John 14 and John 15. We'll focus on the privileges of friendship with Jesus and then briefly consider some of our responsibilities of friendship with Jesus. Well, we'll start with the privileges we have and we'll look at three things that show us the kind of friend he is. It's great to talk about Jesus being a friend, but what does that look like and how does Jesus prove that in this passage? Well, first, Jesus sacrificially loves his friends. Jesus talks about his love for us in terms of what he sacrifices for us. You know, friends put the needs of their friends before their own. Anyone can say that you're a friend, but friendship is proven and tested when things get hard. The difference between an acquaintance and a friend is that you'll make sacrifices for a friend because you care for them. But you probably won't do that for an acquaintance because you don't have the same commitment and love. An example of that was a couple of years ago, I was taking a train from Chicago to Indianapolis. And the downside was that train was scheduled to arrive at midnight, and I knew it's probably going to need to be a friend who picks me up. Well, unfortunately, I had some delays on the train tracks, and so I didn't get in until about 2 a.m. When I walked into the train station, there was my buddy asleep on a bench, asleep as best as he could be, waiting for me. And to me, that was an example of a kind act of sacrifice. That if it was just an acquaintance or if I was trying to get an Uber driver and there was a two-hour delay, they probably would have just left. But that's not what a friend does. Or think of it in terms of if someone would go, would go with you to a Colts game, they might be a friend or they might just really like the Colts. But if someone was willing to give up their Saturday morning to help you move, something none of us like to do, then it shows they're probably a friend that they made a selfless sacrifice for you. So think with me for a minute. What would be the greatest act of friendship by someone? What is the most selfless thing a person could do that would really prove how much they cared about you as friend? Well, it would have to be someone giving up their very life for your life. And that's what Jesus says and demonstrates. This is what proves my love and my friendship towards you. That he does the most selfless, the most sacrificial, the most loving act. Look at John 15, verse 13. Again, it says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. 
You see, Jesus knew the predicament that you and I are in when we stand before a holy God. That because of our sin, we are condemned and we deserve a just punishment. That we need someone to rescue us. We need forgiveness for those sins. And yet we can't accomplish any of that on our own. But the good news is that Jesus can do that. That because he is the sinless God-man, he can take our penalty. He can give his life for ours. And he can give us the righteousness we need to save us. Jesus knows we could never provide those things on our own. And so he knows salvation will be costly to him. But he shows his love by doing it. By dying on a cross so that we could not only be forgiven, but so that we could be made friends. So when we think about the cross, one of the things I want you to think about is that the cross of Jesus, it displays the depth of his love. His desire to not only forgive you, but to turn you from an enemy into a friend. So Jesus sacrificially loves his friends. The second thing we see is that Jesus also, he shares all things with his friends. Second way Jesus treats us as a friend is that he is transparent with us. That he doesn't call us a friend and then keep things hidden in the dark. That he invites us into the intimacy of friendship with him. Look at verse 15. He says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. So again, what Jesus is doing is he's elevating the relationship. He's moving it from a master and servant, teacher and disciple, to a friend-to-friend relationship. One commentary explains this verse and says, The servant is only told what to do, but the friend is also told why. The servant merely obeys because he's told to, but the friend obeys because he wants to. The servant does things out of obligation, but the friend out of joy. The servant only comes when summoned, but the friend is welcome any time. The servant brings food to the master, but the friend eats with him. The servant only feels obligation in the relationship, but the friend feels privilege. You know, you might think about the depth of a relationship by how much you share with a person. You know, again, with our acquaintances, our people on Facebook, we're willing to tell them some surface-level details. Like, I was at the pumpkin patch this weekend, and that's what we put out there for them to know. But if you have coffee with a close friend, you're much more likely to share what's going on in your heart. You're going to share your struggles. You're probably going to open up. This is because part of friendship is transparency. It's sharing. It's disclosure. And an evidence here of Jesus' friendship with us is that he shares things with us. And he shows us his heart. He tells us his plans and his purposes. He tells us the good thing he wants for us. He tells us what the Father is like. And he even tells us what he feels and thinks about us. You know, Jesus did this to his disciples, the ones he was walking with, but he also does this to us through the Bible. That the Bible is God's intimate self-disclosure to us so we might truly see him, know him, love him, and hear from him. One of the most important parts of a good friendship is communication. Communication has how you're known and how you know 
the other person. And the same is true with our walk with Christ. So because of that, this is where you get your regular reminder of how important the Bible reading and prayer is. But let me give you just a little twist to that. What if we approached our Bible reading and prayer less from the angle of a spiritual discipline or something to check off and get done, and we approached it with friendship with God in mind? What if we opened the Bible to hear from God, to hear the things that he thinks are so important that he had them recorded for us to know? The things that God says, this is who I am, what I'm like, these are my promises to you. And what if we approach prayer less like a duty, less like calling customer service to get the problems fixed, and we approach prayer as sharing the things on our heart with God? I can tell you some of my best prayer times have been when I've been most discouraged, most weak, and I just share my heart with God, that I talk to him, that I give my burdens over, knowing he cares, he listens, and he is there. The hymn we sing earlier, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, says it this way. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. You know, Jesus is our friend, and as a friend, he tells us to share our burdens with him in prayer. It's a gift and a privilege of friendship with Jesus. So through the Bible, we listen to our friend, and through prayer, we talk to our friend. It's the means of how we abide in Christ and rest in him and know who he is. Well, the third thing we see in this passage is that Jesus wants good things for us. You know, you always want the best for your friends. And in fact, we're willing to work to make those things happen for our friends. You know, right now, think of someone in your life. Think of a friend. Think of a loved one. And don't you always want their good? I see a lot of kids in here, second service, so throw in a little Disney illustration first service didn't get. Uh, but this reminds me of the movie Cars. So if you've seen Cars, you know, there's no Colts game. Watch it this afternoon. There's some church permission. Um, but the main character, Lightning McQueen, early on in the movie, he's very selfish, he doesn't have any friends, and so he only cares about how things impact his life. So it's only through the movie, as he gets friends, that he starts to think, how will my actions lead to the good of other people? And you see this in the final few scenes. One, as he kind of gives up winning for the sake of the king, his friend. And then two, where he changes his actual location, his home base, to the small radiator spring so that they get more traffic, more publicity, and the town becomes alive again. So it's when he has real friends that he starts to think in terms of their good. And it's a small example of how we all relate to our friends. Well, in theology, we say Jesus is the true and better Moses, and we could say Jesus is the true and better Lightning McQueen. That he is a friend who wants the best things for us. We've already seen that Jesus laid down his own life on a cruel, terrible cross to provide what we need most, salvation and forgiveness. But I want to quickly point to three other things that Jesus specifically mentions that he wants for us. Again, if we think in terms of a master and a servant, a master rarely cares about his servant's good. He wants obedience, but he cares little about how it benefits the servant. But that's not how Jesus talks. 
Jesus tells us about the things he wants for us, the good he wants for us, and that shows his kind heart to us. The first thing that Jesus says he wants for us is peace. In John chapter 14, the very beginning in verse 1 and then at the end in verse 27, he says this. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. When Jesus spoke these words, he knows he's about to die. He knows he's about to physically leave his disciples. He knows that they'll be threatened and that persecution is coming. He even knows the pain and the confusion and the fear that they'll experience when Jesus is arrested and crucified. And all of that moves Jesus in this passage, that he feels their pain before they do. You know, when I read this, what I see is that our troubled heart troubles Jesus' heart. That his heart is moved to compassion when our heart is full of worry. And that's the caring heart of a friend. And because of that, Jesus wants them to move from fear and worry, and he wants them to have peace. And not a temporary distracted peace that the world gives, but a deep abiding peace that only Jesus can give. And so he offers it in himself. He says, my peace I give to you. Well, Jesus not only wants our peace, but he actually wants our joy. Again, think how different this is from other religious leaders and teachers. In other world religions, they might want many, many things. They want committed followers. They want a distinct lifestyle, and they want a belief system. But you never hear them talk about desires for joy in their followers. But Jesus does. He does it because, again, he's not just a master. He's a friend who wants our joy. We see this in John 15 and verse 11. This is the verse leading from the section on abiding and experiencing love into our section on friendship with God. And so what he's likely communicating here is that there's a connection between Jesus giving us his joy and Jesus being our friend. Verse 11 says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So Jesus wants our joy, and Jesus again offers to give us joy. That Jesus gives us joy by freeing us from the chains of sin and regret and failures. That Jesus gives us joy by his promises to never push us away, to never leave us nor forsake us. His promises to work out all things for our good and to walk with us through whatever we're going through. Jesus gives us joy by speaking truth to combat the lies that threaten our joy. He showers mercy and kindness and peace on us in how he treats us. And Jesus gives us joy through friendship and fellowship with him. What a friend we have in Jesus, a friend who cares about our joy. Well, the third thing that Jesus says he wants for us as his friends is for us to experience love. Namely, his all-sufficient, all-satisfying love. We've seen this throughout John, but Jesus specifically says so in John 15, verse 9. 
He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. That invitation from Jesus is for you and I. Jesus knows that we struggle to believe this can be true. We might believe that God can love us, but can he actually like us? Well, Pastor Matt Chandler, he talks about how we often think these promises only apply to a future version of ourselves. That future version that has their act together and with a little less sin. But that's not what Jesus says. It says that Jesus loves us now. That Jesus loves the real you. Jesus loves the broken and messy you. You know, when Jesus befriends us, he does so knowing that we will not be good friends. He knows we will lack faith, that we will stumble and stray. He knows our sin. And yet, in kindness and grace, he makes the first move and he befriends us. I think that's part of what's going on in verse 16 when Jesus reminds us that we did not choose him, but that he chose us. It's saying that he set his love upon us, not when we were cleaned up and not through rose-colored glasses, but seeing our sin, he still set his love upon us. And isn't that genuine friendship? A friend that loves you at your worst and sticks with you. They know the real you. But because they're a friend, they still love you and they walk with you through everything. You know, if you think of your best friends, they've probably seen you angry and they've seen you sobbing. They've hurt or offended you. They've seen you relaxed in your your home and they know what you're really like. They've seen you with bedhead or with no makeup on and yet they're still your friend. Friends are friends through thick and thin. And this passage is telling us that that's how Jesus loves us, that he is a gracious friend who knows the real you, and yet he loves you anyway. That his love isn't based on how impressed or unimpressed he is uh, is with you, but how faithful a friend he is. So brothers and sisters, my encouragement is to take the time to enjoy these blessings and these privileges of friendship with Jesus. So far, we've just been considering the benefits of friendship with Jesus. And while I want the bulk of the message to focus on that, because I think the passage does, and I think it actually motivates our living out the responsibilities, we do need to briefly consider our part of the friendship. So now we'll look at the responsibilities of friendship with Jesus. Because friendship is always a two-way street. You always need two people for a friendship to be real. And so in these verses, because we looked at three benefits, we'll look at three responsibilities. The first is in verse 14. You know, we do what Jesus says. You see this when Jesus tells us, You are my friends if you do what I command you. You see, Jesus is simultaneously our friend, but he is still our Lord and Savior. And those two things aren't in competition with one another. One does not get rid of the other so that he's either friend or he is Lord, but we know that he's both. But the fact that he's a friend does not make him our equal. He still commands us. But it's helpful to remember then that everything Jesus does command is done in friendship and out of love. Chris Chris talked about this two weeks ago in John 15, 10, and 11 when it says, If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. 
And Jesus says, just as I kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. So Jesus doesn't obey the Father to earn or create his love. That because Jesus is obedient, it doesn't um, start this love between the Father and him. But, but since love characterizes the relationship, that's why the Son does obey the Father. He does what pleases him. Well, that's the same pattern for our relationship with Christ. That our obedience doesn't earn or create or cause Christ's love. And yet because we are both followers and disciples, we do obey his commands. D.A. Carson writes, This obedience is not what makes them friends. It's what characterizes their friendship. So the first thing we see is that Jesus calls us to obey. That he is still our king and Lord, even as he is our friend. And I think remembering that he is our friend, it helps us obey and embrace his commandments all the more. Well, the second responsibility we see is that we love as we've been loved. Friendship with Jesus not only means loving Jesus and being loved by Jesus, but it also means loving others like Jesus loves us. I think this has two aspects to it. The first is that we love fellow followers of Jesus, and the second is that we love those far from Jesus. We see the first in verse 12. Here Jesus commands us to love one another. Joel preached on this in depth a few weeks ago when we were in John 13, 34, where Jesus first give this, gives this commandment to love one another. The idea here is that if we've experienced the friendship love of Jesus, we can then share that and show that to one another. But then in verses 16 and 17, it moves us beyond love within the church to love outside of the church. Here we follow the pattern of Jesus by actually going into the world and making his word and his love known to others. Verse 16 says this, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So the mission of Jesus for us here as his disciples is to go and to show and to proclaim the love of Jesus. That evangelism is inviting others to know the Jesus we know and experience the friendship that we have and have experienced with him. That conversion, it's not only a change of allegiance. It's not only turning from your sin. It's not only believing new things and all those things are true but it's also inviting an unbeliever into the biggest privilege they can have, friendship with Jesus. So we not only do what Jesus says, but we love others as we've been loved. And it's important to get that order right. That first Jesus tells us to abide in his love, to experience love from God. And then out of that, he tells us to love one another and love the world. Well, the third responsibility we see is that friendship with Jesus means that we will be treated by the world like Jesus was treated by the world. Let me read verses 18 to 20. Jesus said, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world 
hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So to be a follower and a friend of Jesus, it does not mean that life will always be easy. We should expect to be rejected like Jesus was rejected. We should expect that the world would find the truth we share to be distasteful, just like it did with Jesus. And we should expect that at some point the world will want us to choose between friendship with the world and friendship with God. John talks about this again in 1 John 2.15, and he tells us that you can't have both. He says you will either be friends of God or you will be friends of the world, but eventually these two friend groups will come into conflict because they have different allegiances and values. And so persecution, rejection, hostility from the world, these are never easy, but they should not surprise us. That if Jesus was treated in a certain way, why should we think we will be treated any different? I think part of why this is here is to help us know up front what friendship with Jesus entails. That John doesn't want us to be caught off guard. And while the benefits of friendship with Jesus far outweigh the responsibilities, we should know that friendship requires that we obey him like he obeyed the Father. That we love others like we have been loved. And that we would expect to be treated like Jesus was treated. I want to close by just reminding us what I said at the beginning. That when you think of Jesus, and as you walk with Jesus even this week, that you must have in mind that he's not only your Savior, he's not only your Lord, but he is also your friend. That when he looks on you, the first thought that comes across his mind is not sinner because that sin is covered and clothed, but his first thought is friend. That Jesus' gut response to you is not distancing himself, it's not disappointment, but it's drawing near as a friend in love. The ultimate goal of our salvation, it's not forgiveness, it's friendship. The forgiveness is necessary because it opens the doors to fellowship with God. But if you're a believer, what defines the nature of your relationship with God is friendship between you and him. But I think all of us are tempted to not think that way when it comes to God. We're all tempted to not think in terms of warm friendship. But again, notice that God, through the Bible and what we saw through Jesus' life and his words, is that he wants us to think of him in that way. That he goes out of his way to convince us that he loves us, that he is our friend, and that's how he relates to us. So don't believe the lies of the enemy that tell you you could never be a friend of Jesus because of your sin. If you have trusted in Jesus by his grace and through faith, then you are forgiven fully so you can now be his friend. He loves you and he is for you. If you're here and you have not turned to Jesus or trusted in Jesus, then unfortunately none of that is yet true of you. But the good news is that Jesus does invite us into that friendship, that Jesus wants that for you. He wants you to know him. And the best news is that you don't even have to earn that. Jesus has already earned that. 
All we have to do is receive that as a gift of grace by faith. If you're interested in that, ask someone around you or ask me after the service. But know that Jesus invites you into that friendship. So let me close by just reminding you of the invitation of Jesus. That because he is your friend, he invites you to abide with him this week. That he wants you to slow down in order to build friendship with him. He wants you to make this your highest priority. So commune with him and converse with him. Listen to him through the word and talk to him through prayer. Approach God this week in that way. Not as a principle checking off our homework to see did we do our spiritual disciplines, but as the God who is our friend who is inviting us to reconnect with him. What a friend we have in Jesus. Let me close in prayer. God, these things are astounding, and it is hard to believe them sometimes. Lord, we even as believers know how bad of a friend we are. Lord, we know our failures and our stubbornness, and yet we're thankful that Jesus forgave us and clothed us so that we could be his friend. God, we're thankful that you treat us that way, that you invite us to experience a warm, loving relationship with you. So God, cause that to be true in our life this week. Cause us to believe it. Cause us to remember it. Cause us to fight back against lies that would tell us otherwise. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.